0: Well, good morning, friends. Our scripture this morning, it takes us to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear the good news of Jesus through this passage. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, it's a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, a great number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Well, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool where the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. But then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Friends, as we dig into God's Word, will you pray with me? Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. May we hear from you this morning. We know that Jesus is the great physician, and we truly are people in need of healing. Lord, through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, may we not only learn about you, may we learn from you. We thank you for the amazing love that you have for us, and I pray that we can be people who cling to your word, to your truth, and to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, friends, when I was like many of you as a child growing up, I was incredibly scared of the doctor, terrified when my mom would take me to our pediatrician. Dr. Walker is his name, and that name still brings about fear and trepidation to my older, much older mind now. Now, Dr. Walker, he had an office in an old Victorian house in a tree-lined section of downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. You would see this big house with his sign in front of it, driving up this long driveway. You, you park behind the house, only room for a few cars, and that still brings about fear into my mind as I think about having to go to Dr. Walker. Now, he was a tall man. He reminded me of of maybe Lurch from one of those old TV shows from the 60s, maybe The Munsters or The Adams Family or something like that. He would be in his office, and you would walk up this little front porch, open the big plate-glass windowed door, and there was a waiting room. All of these kids ever so still and quiet. Their moms usually were the ones with them. And this was not just a doctor's office, you see, to to me, and no doubt to the other kids in the room. This was a house of whores. They would call you back into the little room, and you would go with your mom, and you would sit in there for just a little bit. The nurse would come in, and my first immediate question was this, do I have to get a shot? Is he going to prick my finger because that hurts? Sometimes the nurse would say, well, I'm not quite sure what he's going to do. Sometimes she would gently try to calm my fears by saying, no, he's not going to do that today. Or sometimes the cruel nurse might say something like, we're going to wait and see, but probably so. They would, as you were in this little waiting room in the back, my mom would sit down. I I couldn't sit down. I I was pacing. I was nervous. I was apprehensive. Uh, Truly, I was indeed scared. Now, as if to be cruel enough, uh, the doors in Dr. Walker's office were these tall, huge wooden doors, and as just uh, another part of his cruelty towards children, it wasn't a normal doorknob. You see, the doorknob was about a foot and a half higher than the regular doorknobs in a regular house, so I couldn't reach up. I couldn't twist that creaky knob. I couldn't escape. I was there for it all. He was a pediatrician, but in my eyes, he was indebtably crude and scary. You see, the office, it had hardwood floors, and Dr. Walker is a big man. He always wore these heavy shoes with these thick-soled shoes or or thick soles on on the bottom of his shoes, and, and you could hear him when he was coming, the steps on the hardwood floor. Then they would stop. You could hear him outside the door flipping through that chart, looking at the kind of shot or the kind of torture he was going to bring into my life on that day. He'd fold the folder, put it back on that little rack outside next to the door, and you'd see the doorknob turn. He would step in, and my immediate question, do I have to get a shot? Do I have to get my finger pricked? Because I don't like that. Friends, truth be told, Dr. Walker may be the nicest man in the world, but I don't remember any of that. I remember the shots and the pricks and the probes and the poking. I have horrible memories of the doctor, and I never wanted to go back. But now, friends, let me fast forward about three decades. I was at home with my wife. Our children hadn't even been born yet. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I felt this strange nausea coming over and, you know, the risk of sounding, you know, too, you know, hurting or whatever, I started to to throw up on the floor, And, and after I did that for quite a while, I remember this searing pain starting in my back, kind of coming to the front. It literally knocked me to the floor, and I laid on that cool bathroom tile for what seemed like an eternity in that fetal position because the pain was so intense, by far the most brutal pain I had ever encountered in my life. I begged Catherine to drive me to the hospital, and so we rushed to the hospital. And when I went in, I was still throwing up this intense pain, was searing now more than ever. And I practically begged the nurse or or the lady at the reception area to just get a doctor. I've got to see a doctor. I need to see a doctor right now. Uh, the, The pain, it was too much to bear. When will the doctor see me? My how things change. As a child, I avoided the doctor like the plague, and now I was craving a doctor, calling out for a doctor, screaming to a doctor, loud as I could. I I wanted to get well. Now, as it turns out, that trip to the ER on that Friday evening turned out to be kidney stones, which were incredibly painful. But you see how things change. I went from shunning the doctor to craving a doctor. And I think sometimes our spiritual lives parallel that. There are times when we run from God, but there are moments when we come to that reality, the point of which that intense agony in our life is so severe, so seemingly hopeless, that we turn to God, we cry out to God, we lean on God, we press in to God. Now, spiritually, this is referred to as brokenness, a time in which we are broken from ourselves, our goals, our desires, our agendas, and instead we place all that we are and all that we hope to be in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, they all tell us different facets of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his hope, and his truth. But, but John's writing is a little bit different than the other writings of the Gospels. You see, in each chapter, John is giving us a little foray into the ministry and the mission of Jesus. In this one passage, for example, John is talking about Jesus as the great physician. In John 20:31, John, the author of this gospel, summarizes his purpose in writing. This is what he says, "'These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him, you may have life in His name.'" Friends, that is truly our hope for this morning, that we can be people who have life through and from Jesus Christ. Now, if you have your Bible, you're following along at home, there's an interesting note about this passage. When the Bible was written, it wasn't divided into chapters and writings that didn't come until more than a thousand years later on. But in this passage, okay, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, in most translations, there's no verse 4. Okay, Joe, why is that? Well, most don't have verse 4 because it wasn't in the original manuscript that John was penning, okay? It was added sometime in the second century. Uh, Why was it like that? Does it take away from the truth that John is speaking? No, to the contrary, they added it so that we would have a deeper understanding of why this guy was down at the pool. Here's what verse verse 4 says. Some of you may have it in your scripture, most of you don't. It says in verse 4, they, okay, the lame, the injured, the diseased, They waited for the waters to stir. In Jewish history, the the waters would be stirred by these special angels who would come down from heaven. They would stir the water, and whoever went into the water, entered that pool after the angels had stirred the water, they would be miraculously healed. Jerusalem. It was a walled city. It had a huge wall around it to fortify, to protect. And there were 10 gates that allowed you entry from the outside into the inside of Jerusalem. And the passage here refers to the, the sheep gate. It got its name because this is where the sheep and the lambs were led on their one-way journey into the walled city before they were sacrificed for the Jewish people. Now, there was a pool near this sheep gate. The pool was called Bethesda. In Hebrew, the word Bethesda means house of compassion. Maybe you've heard of the Bethesda Naval Hospital, where that's where the name comes from. And so, at this pool called Bethesda, in the walled city just outside the walled gate, the uh, the sheep gate as it was called You had this place of Bethesda, this place of healing, this place of of compassion. The uh, the, the Jews would come in, and and the sick and the lame, the diseased, the invalid, they would lay around waiting for the water to be churned, for the water to be stirred. They would rush into the water, hoping for a healing. So hundreds of people laying around this pool, hoping and praying, waiting to get better. Now, on the day that Jewish, uh, rather, Jesus passes by, it was on the Sabbath. A lot of the Jewish leaders would be upset about that. And uh, keep in mind, this man, the Scripture says, is 38 years old. That was beyond the average lifespan of a man during that time. So uh, you see this man, and you talk about hopeless, you talk about helpless. He was in this condition for almost four decades, and, and did he really believe that things could change in his life? Maybe not. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus can do a lot of things in his life and in your life and in my life that we never thought possible. Let's look a little bit deeper. This poor guy can't beat anyone into the water. He has to have literally someone to carry him into the pool. He can't move on his own. He is totally dependent. He has to totally rely on someone else. So Jesus sees this man. When Jesus finds out how long this man had been paralyzed, Jesus asks this man One question Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, usually when Jesus would do some sort of miraculous healing, it was his response to a question that someone else was asking. But in this case, it was the crippled beggar who never asked Jesus for healing. Maybe the man just thought it's never going to happen to me. It's been so long since I've been like this. I just have to kind of come to the grips of reality that this is the way. I'm always going to be. But Jesus says something to the man. Ask him a question. Do you want to get well? This man's entire world was going to be changed with this miraculous healing. I don't think he even had a clue about how different his life was going to be after this encounter with Christ. Jesus is really saying, do you want to get well? He's saying, look, your life is never going to be the same. Are you ready for me? Are you ready for this new life? Even good change at times can be a little bit scary. Even good change at times can be a little unsettling. Change can be hard after all. Sometimes it's easier simply to trudge on the way that we are because even though we want we crave better things, these are the things we're used to. Will Willimon is a former Methodist bishop. He was a professor at Duke. He was a teacher. And this is what he writes. He says, when I am drinking... I don't have to think about what to do with my life. The bottle tells me every move to make. When I'm free, the ball is in my court. And as wonderful as that is, it can be frightening. This man's life was changed forever after his encounter with Jesus. He no longer had to rely on others for his basic needs. But you see, with this new healing would bring about a new normal. He couldn't rely on others now to, to tend to him, to, to fend his, uh, you know, attackers off. Instead, this man is having to live his life on his own. And even that can bring about some anxiety or maybe some unsettled fears. Let's hit on a little secret. I, I always chew food on one side of my mouth because there was a, a tooth that chipped. It hurts on the other side of my mouth when I go to the dentist after all of this social distancing stuff. is. Uh, kind of in the past, and and I'll have the dentist look at that, but you know what? So now when I'm eating, I always eat on a certain side of the mouth, and as weird as it sounds, as strange as it may seem, I've gotten gotten used to it. Sometimes we get used to to living in ways that that maybe God doesn't want us to bring uh, our life to. He wants us to live lives differently than the ways in which many of us are. We get used to certain things. Maybe it's fear or worry or anxiety Maybe we get used to that trauma that we have from the past. Maybe we get used to those feelings of insecurity or of low self-worth. Maybe we tell ourselves this is simply the way things will always be. But you see, when we think that, we disregard and we discount the power of a God who is for us, a God who is not against us. The people at Bethesda that day, they saw a miracle a crippled man was healed. About 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied about the days of the Messiah. He said this about the Messiah coming, the lame would leap like a deer. In other words, healing is going to take place. Miracles are going to be seen. And here in Jerusalem on that day, we saw something spectacular this man was healed, and people could see perhaps that this, in fact, was a sign that the Messiah was here and now. Do you want to get well? In this story, in this passage, in this narrative, the healing was instantaneous. It came right away. But I know in some cases the healing is a, a process. Sometimes it takes longer than we may prefer. But do we have trust that it is, in fact, a God-given process? Maybe some of the healings that you've encountered haven't always been physical healings. Maybe it was a process that seemed so, so just agonizingly long, but it did, in fact, lead to the point where you are now. Uh, but, but Joe, you may say, I, I, I used to have a bad temper, uh, but God changed me. Joe, I, I used to be battling certain addictions, but, but God changed me. Joe, I used to live in constant fear, but God changed me. I used to be an emotionally absent spouse or maybe a passive father. Jesus changed that. God showed me the new path that he now wants me to take. Or or Joe, I have such a horrible view of myself. Things are always going to be this way, and it just beats me down. But God wants to change us like the man on the mat. We may feel hopeless, we may feel helpless, but then comes an encounter with our risen Lord. This event, you see, not only changed one man's life, it not only amazed a crowd of people, it also set Jesus on that crash course with the religious leaders of that day and time. After all, this healing took place on a Sabbath, and so Jesus was in violation of these man-made rules that people had about being able to heal on the Sabbath. And let's face it, we do already know how things are going to play out. Jesus will be arrested and crucified, but then resurrected. How are we as followers of Jesus providing an atmosphere for hurting people? Do we provide an atmosphere of compassion, of helping, of healing, and hope? Do we point to that truth, or is it simply too messy to get involved in someone's life? It's interesting to note that the Greek word for healing is sozo. It's a Greek word, S-O-Z-O, four letters. It means healing. What's interesting, though, the Greek word for salvation is also sozo, S-O-Z-O, same word, has a third meaning, and that means to be set free. So when you're reading the Greek transcripts of Scripture and you come across that word sozo, it could mean salvation, it could mean healing, it could be to be set free. Once we say yes to Jesus, God is still not through with us. God has some healing He wants to do, God also has some things in our lives from which he wants to set us free. You see, we need the power of Christ to heal. We need the power of Christ, obviously, for our own eternal salvation, and we need the power of Christ to set us free, to set us free from the bondage of our sin and shame, to set us free from the feelings of helplessness or hopelessness, and the presence and the power to set us free from unhealthy patterns that may hold us captive. You see, Jesus came so that we can have new life, that despite what yesterday held, tomorrow can bring about something totally new, something totally amazing, something totally life-transforming. What are those areas in your life in which you're hurting? It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be relationally. Maybe you're in chronic pain, again, not just physically, it could be relationally, could be mentally, could be just emotionally. But what are those places in your life that need that touch from Christ? What are those places in which you crave restoration or renewal? What are those places in which you need to be set free? One of the things that we're doing as a response to our message today is we're looking at those who do provide opportunities for us to stay healthy, to stay safe, and to stay, stay- Holy. These are our frontline folks, the the frontline workers. We can think of the police officers and the firefighters and the paramedics. And and now in this pandemic that's going on, we think of nurses, we think of doctors, we think of medical personnel. And one of the things that we here at Chapel Roswell are encouraging and even challenging to do is this, to write a short card, a note, or a letter to some sort of frontline worker. You can drop it off at the church during certain business hours, or you can mail it to us at Chapel Roswell. You'll see a screen in just a few moments. It gives you a little bit more detail about that. But we want these people to realize that they are being prayed for, that they are being cared for, and that they are truly appreciated for putting their lives on the line so that we can stay safe and healthy and protected. So, friends, as we talk about this SOZO, this healing, this salvation, this being set free. I pray that the risen Christ who healed that man at Bethesda a couple thousand years ago will show you how he is still bringing healing and salvation and freedom into your life and my life right here and right now. Friends, as we wrap up our time together, will you go into God in prayer with me? Well, dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your healing power. and uh, For some, the healing may be instant and quick, whereas for some of us it may be a process. But I pray that we'll grant you access to every corner of our lives so that healing and freedom can take place. Give us a glimpse of the power and the purpose that you have for our lives, and may you take our broken pieces and transform them into healing and hope. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.